What up, everybody? This is Marv Kelly, and you tune into the episode, the fifth episode, or fifth or fourth, I forget, I'm new with this, of the Record Broker Podcast, coming to you live from Austin, Texas. It's a beautiful day. It's cold. I hope everyone is staying warm out there. I hope you got your flu shot. I got mine, and it saved my life. So I hope everybody is doing fine. Uh, what's hot in the streets right now? Um, I've been listening to a new, well, he's not new. He's an older artist. I came out around 2004, around the smooth jazz scene, a guy called Pete Belasco, and he recently released a new song called Strong and Abled. But I've been listening to his older album called Deeper, which is very smooth. If you got a, you got a good girl, play that for her. It's very, it's very clean. So that's what's hot in the streets. So I hope you guys go listen to that. I dropped some new stuff on my SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com forward slash Marv Kelly. I hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, plan on releasing some new music next year. Pretty exciting work. So go out and check that. I'll be dropping something new this weekend and a new mix on my, on my SoundCloud. I'm sorry, on my MixCloud page. So I hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, my next guest is a guy I've known for 10 years now, incredibly. Uh, hailing from Sacktown or the Bay Area, California, and all California native. Really smart dude, artistic guy, hell of a drummer. Uh, I'll let him tell you the rest. Andy, what up? What's happening, my man? How are you? I'm doing very well, doing well. How about you? You know, just having a Saturday. Having a Saturday. What what'd you have for breakfast, <laughs> Captain Crunch? Nah, man. You know I don't eat that madness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Too much sugar. Yeah, yeah. I don't even. Man. I don't mess with that. No wheat, no sugar. I stay away. I had some uh, some broccoli and cauliflower uh, little patties uh, with some Boy. with a couple of fried eggs over the top and some tapatio hot sauce. Is that keto? You know it is. Yeah, man. You know, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of getting that next. That's my New Year's resolution: is to eat clean. Is to eat really clean next year. Do yeah. everything clean next year. I've, I'm proud to say I've never had you know a heavy drinking problem or anything like that. But um, I haven't had alcohol since September, and mm-hmm. I I had a small craving a week ago. I was like, man, a margarita sounds so good right now, <laughs> but. Oh, but it's just like, nah, man, smart water sounds even better. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, I buy it by the case. I buy that smart water by the case. Oh, so do I. So yeah. do I. Um, I, I, get, I get them often. That's all I drink, man, is just water with electrolytes. That is the, figuratively and literally, it is the smartest thing you can have. It's yeah. Clean kidneys, homie. Clean mm-hmm. kidneys. Do it all clean. Um. <laughs> Yeah, uh, LeBron does that keto diet. It's you know it's the new wave. Everyone's uh, trying to do something. Yeah, uh, you know, new. It's better better to uh, you know invest in your body. It's the only one you got. Forget all these toxins because that's not gonna that's not gonna propel you anyway. No, well you got to eat. You got to eat what's in a way that's right for your body. You know what I mean? Like and. For, for people to think that there's just one way to go about it and that one way is the best way is incredibly naive and foolish. And you just got to find what works for you. And, and what works for me is uh, low carb, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, can't, I don't think I could say I'm strictly keto anymore, like strict, strict, strict keto. You know, I let a little, a little something in here and there, like rice and some gluten-free oats here and there. Yeah. But, but yeah, you got to find what's right for you. And I don't respond well to high-carb diets. You know, I had been, you know, puffy and overweight my whole life because I didn't know that I shouldn't have been eating like that. Actually, mm-hmm. when I was eating like, you know... Uh, uh, three or four one liter bottles of Mountain Dew every day. Oh my god! And uh, you know, I'd have cereal for maybe breakfast and as a midnight snack, and <sighs> you know, breaded everything and pasta, and like I, I never felt right. And then when I gave it all up, I like you know, I dropped fifty something pounds, and yeah. uh, and now I'm cruising around at what I think is my healthy weight. So you know, but that's that's what was right for me. Everybody has to do what's right for them. Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know, pick what diet is right for you. I I have a little bit of food allergies myself, and so does my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I've uh, I started making my own soups uh, from some chicken broth from Whole Foods. Yeah, food. that's good stuff, and, uh, man. And, yeah, it is. And I actually, um, last night I made some, this is chicken broth, and I bought um, uh, some baked chicken. I just chopped that up. And put broccoli in there, but no noodles, so mm-hmm. no carbs in it, and it felt great. So, Men's Health Month has passed, but <laughs> you gotta take care of your, your manhood. You gotta take care of everything every month, right? So that's important. So eat right, folks. Everybody, <laughs> eat right. You know, don't you can't have a case of Coors Light every every week. <laughs> that should kill you. Nah, Coors man. Light, Coors Light is disgusting too. So it's, <laughs> it's uh, like water, man. It's, it's <laughs> disgusting water, gross water. Um. So, Andy, for folks who do not know you, tell them a little bit about yourself. Mm, I think the best way to, to to describe me in the shortest amount of time possible is to say that uh, I'm a jack of all trades, but master of none. You know, what I mean, I'm one of those kind of guys. Uh, Sort of like a Renaissance man, you know, that is involved. Yeah, yeah, figured. That's why we're, I think that's, that's part of why we connect as, as friends. And yeah, even across the, you know, 1800 some odd miles that we, uh, that separate us here, um, yeah. you know, uh, we, we see eye to eye on a lot of things. But yeah, definitely. You know, for yeah. me, I'm a, you know, I'm a dad and a musician and a computer engineer and a builder and a creator and a problem solver. And, you know, I'm just, I got my, my hands in so many different things that like any one thing that I could say I'm proficient at, I'm not really able to say I'm like a complete master at. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and it's interesting, you know, what is interesting to me about mastery is that if you're a true, a true master, or if you're trying to obtain mastery in a particular discipline that, if if you're doing it right, the closer you get to it or the more you figure out how to become closer to a master is uh, it's going to be you're going to realize that there's even more to learn. Right. The closer you get to learning something all the way, the more you realize there's even more yet to learn. And if you're not realizing that, like the, the better you get at something and you don't and you're not realizing that there's even more then <laughs> you're missing it. <laughs> you're missing yeah, something. There's, there's always room to grow. I yeah. remember 
remember Herbie said that. He said there's a – I mean, I've been playing this long, but there's, I feel like there's still even more I, I need to learn yeah. about, about music. I mean, no, no one has it mastered. Yeah, I guess a good way to put it is um, the more you know, the more you should realize that there's even more yet to know. Yeah, and I think there's there's something from the Bible saying only fools know only fools think they know everything, mm-hmm. and a wise man uh, knows that he doesn't. Yeah. So you yeah. know, I, there's another funny thing I heard about um, uh, fools. Uh, somebody said this to, to me the other day, and I thought it was hilarious. And he said, um, he said, you know, if you want to sink down and match the level of the fo- of a fool. Uh, You'll be able to compete with them for a while, but in the end, they're going to win just out of sheer experience. True. (laughs) True. It's true. That's a a good one. That's that's clever. Yeah. Very true. Um, So, folks, how Andy and I connected, we both used to work at Apple. I used to. Andy still does. And uh, we just had this type of – we were co-workers – via by uh chatting and the phone and email and all that we just found out we had a lot in common and just from there we became pretty good friends and such and uh both of us being involved in music and our love of the football specifically the nfl and amongst other things we just connected that bond but um andy is one hell of a drummer he's very in pocket that was Impressed the first time I saw him play and such and stuff. I think I've heard that he's put on some sessions of mine. Um, you're pretty, you're pretty sick, man. I know you, I know you believe in yourself and you, you don't think like you're way up there, but um, how did drums come about for you? Um, well, I believe real strongly that if you have, if you, if you can listen to yourself, if you can hear and, and respond to what's kind of resonating in your mind and in your soul that you're going to gravitate towards the things that, you know, give you great uh, pleasure and fulfillment. And uh, for me, there were like, even as a, as a small child, there were two things that like I was always super into uh, one of which was like architecture and design, you know? So I was uh, at, as a young boy, I was like, and, and, and this is not an exaggeration when I look back on it and what a weird thing to have a boy be interested in. But I was drawing floor plans uh, on, on with, with rulers and graph paper on, you know, when I was a kid, like five years old, five or six years old, just when I learned how to grab a pencil, I was trying to design floor plans for homes and buildings, which <laughs> I didn't end up getting get to do that in my life. But uh, I still enjoy similar disciplines to that. But for drums. Um, I was always like making drum beats with my, with my mouth, you know, making sounds, uh, mm-hmm. drums really made a lot of sense to me. You know, my dad and my mom both exposed me to a lot of different music growing up. Uh, my dad was more classic rock and, uh, you know, old school R and B, uh, and my mm-hmm. mom was more, uh, more modern rock for modern rock at the time and blues and soul. So I got a really rich, um, exposure to, to music, but in the end, drums always made sense. They, they, I just gravitated towards that. And I remember in, uh, in elementary school, maybe about fourth or sixth grade, I was playing with my friends. We had a little sleepover 
And there was this popular song on the radio that we were playing while we were goofing around in my friend's garage. And we all decided, hey, let's act like we're going to be the musicians in this band while this song plays. And I won't tell you what that song is because it's such a dumb pop song. That, no, you got to say it. <laughs> oh, uh, it, was, uh, it was called uh, Breakout. And it was by this female artist. And I, I swear to you, I don't know the name of the artist or oh, the actual. I know who it is. Yeah. Um, Swing Out Sister. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we're talking about the same song. But uh, anyway, yeah, we were big. listening to it. And, and me and my other friend were fighting about who was going to get to play the drummer Uh-oh. in this little, you know, fake act we were going to do. Did he knock you out? No, nah, man. We, we were like, <laughs> we were in, you know, like fifth or sixth grade, man. We weren't. We weren't quite so violent yet as boys. You're like, but, man, uh, if Marvin were here, he got that hook. You know what's funny, though? I do. What I do remember, <laughs> what was weird about that, is that part of our little stage setup in this garage, uh, the drummer had to climb up a ladder and bang on these things that were up in this little rack in this garage. I was like, why, why would we do that? Now that I think back on it, I'm like, dude, what? Like, what were just, we thinking? It, but we were just, you know, 10, 11 years old, right? Just yeah. messing around. Anyway, um, I didn't act on it. I didn't like say, okay, well, now I'm a drummer, obviously. Let's go figure out how to play drums. Um, I got into, into junior high school, and, and still I was not a musician at this time, but still music made a whole hell of a lot of sense to me in my mind. And uh, I remember the first week of school, might even be the first or second day of seventh grade, uh, I was uh, in math class. Uh, and, uh, it was a, a math teacher. His name was Mr. Bitzer and Mr. Wow. Bitzer was this big old bear of a man, you know, bearded and, 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 you know, stout, deep yeah. voice. And, uh, I'm sitting there in class and I'm just tapping on the desk, tap, 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 tap. That had followed me my whole life. Just tapping on stuff was, I always tapped on stuff. Mm-hmm. I used to get in trouble for it, um, too, by my dad. He was really annoyed by it. Um, but Mr. Bitzer, uh, also got annoyed by my tapping and he stopped the class and he said, Hey, who's that? And I said, I'm uh, Andy. He says, mm-hmm. Andy, are you in band? Mm-hmm. I said, no. And he said, well, then maybe you should go join band because there's no tapping around in my class. And I said, okay, fine. I will join band. <laughs> and so I like, you know, forget you, buddy. I'll join band just to show mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And so I went and I joined band uh, as a drummer and they were happy to have me because there was only really two or three other kids in the whole school in my grade that really wanted to play band. And I joined in and uh, quickly became the section leader, which, you know, really isn't saying much when you're you're playing hot cross buns in the seventh grade, you know, yeah. you know, tap, 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 rest, tap 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 rest you know it's not really uh-huh. complex yeah but um but yeah then uh, uh all through eighth grade uh, still was the section leader uh, and then just took it on through high school and high school is when it really started to take off where i really started to get some some heavy duty knowledge about um you know jazz studies marching band you know drum corps um that type of thing uh concert band yeah, and I didn't start playing in real bands until after high school. So I had my, you know, my my real musical training all the way through um, 
high school, but when I got out of high school, that's when, you know, real, you know, bands with uh, a handful of other guys yeah. started to take off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's how I started in music. But then I went a long way past that, too. So. <laughs> yeah. So when when did you get your record deal? So, um, well, right out of high school, um, I, I joined uh, – there was a – well, my high school across the street, there is a community college. And this community college had a jazz program that was really well-respected in the area. And so I joined the jazz program. And uh, there was a, a bunch of other folks that I, I mean, shoot, I was in a class of people I had no idea. I, these, these are not people I'd ever met before. And I was just, um, you know, trying to see if I can make my way and get some jazz chops. And uh, the director, you know, being a good dude, d- decided he was going to audition a bunch of people uh, just to, you know, hey, hey, Andy, you go sit on the kit. And hey, you know, such and such, you get on the bass and you get on the sax. And so, um, this director put me uh, on the kit and he put this other guy named Mike Hernandez on the bass. Mm-hmm. And this other guy was just like me, same age as me. Um, maybe he was one year older, actually, to be honest, put him on the bass. And we were, we were just kind of like tapping around and this bass player. And, and this is, I'm going to reveal something to you, Marvin, that I know, you know, but maybe your listeners, listeners don't know yet. Yeah. Uh, but, um, or maybe they do, I don't know. But this bass player started laying down these little grooves of stuff that was popular on the radio. And within a moment or two, like, I was like, oh, I know that. And I clicked and I would tap the drum beat to it. And then the bass player would look at me like, you know that? I'm like, yeah, I know that. Like, come on, yeah, man, that's yeah. easy. And then he would do another thing. And I'm like, mm, yep, I know that too. And then we, he kept trying to stump me and he couldn't, right? And yeah. so then we became friends and he said, hey, m- maybe you should come watch my band play uh-huh. and so i go over to to watch his band play and he was playing with this of uh, this other guitar player songwriter and this other little drummer uh i come over to watch them play and they were like literally the the quintessential garage band right it was just loud and messy yeah and um and so past that you know i said all right well you know your, your band's pretty cool but uh but yeah man uh, good luck with that and uh, <laughs> you know i'll 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 see you later and so a couple weeks later i needed a bass player to sit in with me on this other little school project that i was doing and so i invited him and so he and i became you know fast friends and their drummer ended up uh you know getting in trouble with his mom <laughs> mom busted him no more drums for you you're grounded and and they were rehearsing at this drummer's house in the garage. And wow. so they needed another drummer and they invited me to come play and it just clicked. And so I became the drummer for, for this bass player's band and his uh, guitar player, songwriter, singer. And um, the thing that, uh, that I alluded to a moment ago about, you know, the thing that, that, that you know about Marvin is that um, – you really got something if your drummer and your bass player yeah. almost feel like the same person. That's how uh, that's where there's just hurt. this. Yeah. yeah. Where there's, there's this, this inexplainable or inextricable link between yeah. the two guys. And it got to be so good between me and this dude yeah. to where um, I could just start to play something and, and he would just play something without any cues and it would be perfect. Like yeah. just perfectly right on. I would be listening for 
when to accent his rhythms on my on my kick drum uh-huh. and he would be look, looking to my kick drum to have rhythms to access accent what he was doing for a bass line it was perfect and yeah. i lucked out so huge yeah the bass player and the drummer are definitely twins is mm-hmm. what you say have you ever met a drummer that thinks he can play bass yes because um, I've, I've played with drummers they're like okay you play bass and then i'll play bass you get on the drums and they couldn't play bass for shit <laughs> yes not play, the same yeah but i can play <laughs> but i can play both it's like i'm getting down on the bass while he's playing drums and then he's playing just off i'm like wait a minute it's like how how are you able right. to follow me while i'm playing but you're not hitting that like you say those accents mm-hmm. where i would on the on the on the bass but you know you know when i'm about to hit it on bass yeah exactly it's, it's funny it, it's funny that way it's almost kind of like Bass players think they can play guitar when mm-hmm. they really can't, and guitar think they can play bass. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, it's not really that way, but no, it isn't. But you get that that um, that chemistry between the two is very is very important. But I've right. played with people that way, and it's like, and none of them none of them have played that way. It's like you got to actually know how to play a damn bass first, homie. Don't right. just jump on it because you. You know how to groove with one, but you don't know how to play one. It's- or, or you just have to be a good musician that had that knows where to fit in, you know. And like I was saying before, like uh, you know, me and this guy, Mike Hernandez, like I was saying, we 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 were so incredibly fortunate. Like like we hit the lottery with one another. Really, is the way I think of it, because he and I propelled that band. That, that would eventually become the band uh, that actually got a record deal okay. uh, with Immortal Records. We got a seven album deal out of it. Yeah. Uh, and we were uh, in the end before we uh, ended up calling it quits. We were in that band together for 11 years. Ooh. So shortly out of high school, um, I graduated in 95 and, and then out of high school early in 1997, we started that band and, and we didn't end it until uh, 2008, which is about a decade ago now. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, me and him and this other singer songwriter guy, uh, his name is Jason Mahon. Uh, and Jason was an interesting guy too. And he had his own stroke of luck and genius in that he was, uh, an, a completely untrained musician, uh, zero guitar training, ended up being a fantastic guitar player and riff writer. Um, and what's interesting is I attribute a lot of the unique things that he, did on guitar to not having the the structures and and the um and, and the constraints of a of a of a real structured uh music uh education mm-hmm. right like he he was he basically did things and combined certain notes and chords together that would technically work out if you were like a a, a master and you'd know that oh well this this octave of the second you know you know, interval would work because blah, blah, blah. But he was just figuring this stuff out on his own Uh and he didn't know what he was doing, but it sounded great. And so anyway, we, uh, we were signed in, I would, I want to say 2001, we got a record deal and they put us out on tour and we did a bunch of fun stuff, but, but this was unfortunately right around the time where Napster uh, and, and illegal downloading of MP3s and sharing of music um, killed everything. You just really killed the entire record industry, because at that time 
um, if you didn't have talent, um, which, you know, prior to the, to this whole age, talent was really important, but then it got to the point in the record industry where, well, we're not going to worry about talent. We're going to worry about formula. You know, we're going to say, well, if, if Limp Biscuit gets huge, let's sign all these other bands that are Limp Biscuity. Or (laughs) if, if Van Halen is super huge, then let's, you know, sign all these other like, like rock and roll, you know, wanker guitar player acts, you know, it was a, what's the formula? Oh, that's the formula. Great. Sign 10 bands with this formula and whichever one ends up being successful, fine. The rest of them will just die off because they had enough money to throw around like that. Because where was the money coming from? It was coming from radio spins and publishing, and it was coming from record stores. Well, when the record stores lost all their revenue, they couldn't do that anymore. And so we were a casualty of the shift in that paradigm. That's whack. And so um, our band, uh, for, for you know, to, to say it in a short, sweet way, um, our, our band's record label uh, was immortal, and they – and. And if everybody doesn't know how record labels work, it's, it's, it's usually if you're not a, a complete independent, it means that your record label gets money and resource from yet mm-hmm. a bigger record label. And yeah. usually if you follow the tree all the way up or I should say um, follow the roots all the way up to the ba- to the you know, to the trunk of the tree, it's one one record label. And our one record label was Virgin, you know, so Virgin mm-hmm. Records. Uh, and they had a bunch. They had like Island Def Jam underneath it, and they had uh, a bunch of other ones. But Immortal Records was, we and it rolled up to Virgin, and okay. and so so record labels like ours have their own deals with the master label or the big right. label. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that we got our deal in the summertime, and we went right in and recorded our album, our debut album, and we were super stoked. We were lucky we got to work with a producer that we should have had no business working with because he was incredibly successful and all of he had platinum and gold albums under his belt with a bunch of big acts. Um, And right when we went back to finish it up, our producer said, hey, we can't have you come back and finish your record yet because your record label doesn't have a deal anymore. And we're like, wait, what? We didn't understand that. Mm -hmm. And, And it turns out that the record label we were under, Immortal, their deal was over at the first of the year. So January 1, their contract was done. The term was finished. And so, and so the record label head, uh, I'll leave him nameless because I don't want to slag anybody, but this guy was very proud and uh, very staunch in his belief and hard-headed uh, about the fact that his label was awesome and he had a lot of great talent and he had a great eye for talent and he was going to get the same amount of money that he was getting before, before the whole Napster thing took the hit on the whole industry. Mm-hmm. So he was, he was trying to, to re up his contract with Virgin and Virgin was like, no, 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 no. What you're asking for those, <laughs> those days are over, bud. We need, we can't do that. And he was like, okay, well, screw you. I'll go to this other record label to try to see if they'll buy my label or, or give us a deal. And so he kept doing that. And, and uh, that hard-headed mentality um, ended up costing us because their lab- that label ran out of money and they couldn't support us anymore. Mm. Right? They couldn't let us go back to finish our record with the producer. So, so we have, and to this day, 
we have a, a record that was 75%, that is 75% in the bag mm-hmm. right now <laughs> that will never be finished. Right. So we have, and it sound, it was sounding incredible, bro. It what? sounds so good. Was this alternative? Well, yeah, this is a, you know, it, we were a genre bender. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I love those. It was different. Um, you know, we had very, very, uh, like hard and, and riffy riffs, but it wasn't metal. So, so we would never work in a metal format. It was too, there was too much melodic. Uh, vocal work for that mm-hmm. um, and we weren't alternative like you know poppy stuff but we had elements of all so we as a band actually when it came to uh, working with other bands and finding bills that we would jive on uh, that was a very difficult proposition but um, but yeah I guess it I mean if you were to boil down a lot of alternative it was alternative in a way but it was hard alternative with a very melodic edge okay okay so it was very different yeah yeah you know it's um I, it's funny how the industry shifts you got something some tech company comes out and does something and it changes the game you got shazam you got spotify you got soundcloud mixcloud you got apple music you got beats electronics a whole bunch of other stuff that just kind of impacts what's the point of a record deal now and mm-hmm. you know and how people get paid um you know hopefully the mma act the music monetization act changes all of that where streaming is actually lucrative you yeah know, you get like a billion streams to make a million dollars you know what i mean um but yeah that's that's uh unfortunately you guys were a casualty to the industry on the record label side that, that so many other people have uh, encountered. And, I mean, I've even been hustled with uh, other people around here, unfortunately. And, you know, I'm, um, you know, stay up on your game, people who are looking to get into the industry, know the legalities and stuff. And, like, I think mm-hmm. the best thing to do is just really be independent. Um, it's funny, there was... Um, there's one of Eminem's um, uh, fellow mates um, by the name of Royce the Five Nine. When Dre was coming out with 2001, mm-hmm. Eminem was already signed to Aftermath, and Dre offered Royce a record deal, and the amount was just uh, 250,000. Wow! And it was unlimited Dre beats. He can get any beat he wanted. Didn't matter how much it costs, he can get any beat. And so Royce was like, okay, let me think about that. And then so Tommy Boy offered him a record deal, and it was a million dollars. Guess which one he went with? What Dre beats, right? No. 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 He went with with Tommy Boy. And guess what happened after that? What? That album never came out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that album never came out he went to it's a shame he got released or dropped from that album and i'm not knocking royce the five nine royce if you're listening which i imagine you're not but if you somehow come across this please come on the show i love your latest album i've always been a fan um who has a dope album out right now people go listen to it. it's called the book of ryan and um 
But anyways, that album never came out, or maybe it came out on the next label he had. And when his album came out earlier this year, he was on a podcast talking about um, how in the music industry, when someone offers you an excessive amount of money, sometimes it is never there. And how he regrets not taking Dre's deal because Mm -hmm. he wrote he wrote one or a few songs and I think one of the best songs on Dre's album 2001 which is about his brother Tyree who got killed it's a beautiful song very well written Mm -hmm. Royce he wrote that song uh, which is the very last song on 2001 um, and he is saying how he regretted it because he fit Dre's sound and Eminem being on there and the reemergence of Dre's career and such and um, you know, two. Uh, if Dre offered me two hundred fifty thousand and unlimited Dre beats, I'm not complaining about anything. I don't need a. I don't need a music video. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can nowadays. What does it cost? Most marketing is just you get a Google ad or you do a Facebook ad. People just follow follow you on any social media platform, and there's your marketing. All right. And and some and you know he's an underground guy. He's a very lyrical, lyrical rapper. And um, those guys do have a very good following. And for that, I feel that Unlimited Dre Beats, which were really hitting at that time. Oh, man, were, come on. Were, right when MWA yeah. started. And, yeah, Dre, and, Dre was yeah. that that was it, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shoot, let's be real. Like, you know, all <laughs> NWA had a, a bunch of, uh, of great rappers, but but really the greatest rapper in MWA, let's not get it twisted, was definitely Ice Cube. Right, oh, yeah. and he right. was the best, and he even wrote a bunch of lyrics for all the other guys. He, he did, he but did. um, but dude, him and and as soon as you heard like those songs and that first NWA record, you're like, oh man, this is banging. And that was yeah. Dre, man. Dre did he was, man, yeah, and he is, he was, and and is still an absolute genius. Like he's just yeah. the best. Sonically, I think his mixing and mastering is just alien like. Like, yeah, well, I mean, he's got the years he's got the be- the greatest gear known to man to do it with. Yeah, you know, what I mean, it's, he's got them ears, man. Right. It's so. just it's almost in it's almost like man, this is is this real or, or what? Because yeah, like, that, it's trippy, it's right? Just, it's that clean. It's just oof. I mean, yeah, it's funny that hard work, man. That hard work. Oh, I know, but let me tell you what you know. um, like I said before, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, you know, like I'm, you know, uh, I'm a studio engineer, right. When it comes to like being in the studio, I I know what I'm doing. I could run a session, do a lot of post-production work on the computer for, uh, for sessions. And I know net, well, now I know, and I don't mean, I just learned it two minutes ago, but I, you know, um, now it's a, it's a fact that I could look at a computer and go, you know what? I can be pretty proficient. If I, all I had was this computer sitting in front of me, I could try real hard and I could get things to sound great. But when you're sitting in a studio behind an SSL and you have like top flight, you know, uh, mm-hmm. mics and preamps and other signal processing gear at your fingertips in a professional listening environment in a professional sound uh, treated room in a studio, you have to try to 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 make things sound bad, right? It's it's mm-hmm. easy, it's harder to make things sound bad than it is to let things sound good, which is I think is interesting. Um, but yeah, with Dre, man, like he had he had both things on lock. He had he had the vision and the the creativity, but then also after a while, he had access to some straight up 
killer gear. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, he's just, poof, he's the best. Okay. So what, what do you think matters? It could be both or it could be one or the other. Do you think ears matter or do you think the gear matters? Well, I mean, it, no matter how good uh, the gear sounds, how are you going to know if you don't have ears? Right. So I think it's, you know, primarily or it's like, say, hey, uh, what's more important, Charlie Parker or the sax? Right. True. Isn't that the True. same question? You know, it's it's the, the, the instruments uh, in question here or the gear. They don't do a dang thing if, if nobody's operating them. I remember uh, my uncle once um, saw Jimmy Smith the organ player, mm-hmm. he came to his college and he asked for a, a Hammond B3 and they didn't give him a Hammond B3. And he walked off stage and said, I can't play on that candy ass organ and just walked <laughs> off. <laughs> so, well, that's not cool. Yeah. that Hey, but I get it though. So, oh yeah. Me too. It's like you, you sit me and say, Hey man, we want you to sit in on this track and I get to the studio and it's a, uh, one of those little cheapy drum kits that you get off of Amazon for three bucks. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll go, nah, man, I, uh, I can't give you what you want me to give you on this. You know, unfortunately I wouldn't yeah. walk away like a jerk. I would explain. I'd be like, Hey, listen, uh, here's the thing. Let me explain to you all the ways where this is going to be terrible. <laughs> uh, right. And, and then help them try to solve for, uh, you know, how to, how to make something happen. So that we're not wasting everybody's time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I know, I know you got to have quality instrument. If you are expected to deliver on a quality performance and a quality product, yeah, um, I, you're going to need a quality instrument. Yeah. And in, in some cases I'll tell, I'll tell you this. I remember my dad once played on my cousin's little kit, this little, very, very intermediate baby ass kit. And he played drums on it. And I swear it sounded like a professional kit. So maybe mm-hmm. it was just my dad's touch. That was on top of Oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. And then that's that's the other side of the argument and the other side of the story that's Mm -hmm. actually similar to what I was just suggesting. You know, you can't – it'll be very difficult for a true artist to create a great product on a crappy instrument. Yeah. But the the other part of it is uh, if it is a true artist and the instrument is at least serviceable, it's going to sound great because it's all about the player. It's mm-hmm. all about the player. Definitely, definitely. Um, so let's end it on this. Let's do this. I told you I was going to give you this quiz. <laughs> right. So let's, uh, let's, wrap, let's wrap it up. It's been a good session, but let me ask you these, these questions. Okay. All right. So we got music theory. We got artists. We got random and we got history. Five right. questions each. All right. Okay. Hurry all up. Right. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> okay. So most notations for piano music are in Italian. And that even includes the word piano itself. Right. Yeah. What does piano translate to in English? Shh. Quiet. <laughs> okay. I'll Quietly. That. Well, I mean, it means soft and quiet. Yes, um, in soft, fact, soft is the answer. In fact, soft. they actually stack up. It's a P symbol, pian- mm-hmm. a piano, and yeah. uh, there's uh, pianissimo and a bunch of different. So the more P's you see, the quieter you need to be. And I think the, yes. they normally would say that the quietest possible is PPP. Okay, correct. So. All right. 
Presto, Largo, Allegro. Mm-hmm. These terms, amongst many others, relate to what property of music? <laughs> Tempo. Okay, cool. Yeah. How many lines are on a staff? Oh, uh, six? I don't know. Five. Five. Okay. I never, see, as a, as a drummer, um, I, I learned to, to not read notes, but only the rhythms. I didn't have any appetite for notes because it didn't make any sense at the time when I was learning how to read sheet music. All right, all right. So it was useless no to read notes. No foul, no foul. <laughs> what is a double paradiddle? Uh, a double paradiddle is um, when you do uh, two, two sets of alternating single strokes before the diddle. So a paradiddle is like right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left. Mm-hmm. Uh, a double paradiddle is you just say it. So instead of saying paradiddle, you say double paradiddle. So right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, left, left. So you're just All putting right. another set of, of uh, alternating strokes in front of the actual paradiddle. So it's a six it's a six note pattern rather than a four note pattern. Okay, great. All right. What strings will you find on a five string bass? What strings? Um, well, you'd find, well, I, I believe it's uh, uh, what it would be. It would be B E A D G. God damn it. So yeah. it's just E A D G. And um, that's easy. I always remember the, um, every average dog gets bones eventually, right? That's on a regular <laughs> guitar. And yeah. a four string is, is every average dog gets. And the B string, I just happen to know, is the, usually the, the, the bigger one. The, 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 the top one. Yeah. The big boy that you rest your thumb on. Yeah. That you barely use. The you barely string. use it. I just use it to put my thumb on it. When I play the other ones, just go all the way down. And the B string barely gets any love. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so moving on to artists. Who is the Godfather of Fusion? The Godfather of Fusion? Yes. Well, that uh, wow, um, that would either be uh, Miles Davis or it would be um, Herbie Hancock. I would imagine. I have it as Miles. Okay. Which you know the first Fusion album would be uh, uh, Bitches Brew. Right. I've also read that Coltrane actually created Fusion with his saxophone, but didn't create the genre yet. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. This rock artist was supposed to have been featured on Miles' Bitches Brew, but he passed in 1970. Who was that? Ooh, yeah, I don't know. Um, if, I, uh, if I can make a guess, uh, rock artist, can you at least give me an idea of the instrument or their discipline? And I can probably guess. Uh, guitar. Oh. Um, I don't know, at the time, a rock artist? Maybe Eddie Van Halen or... Oh, God. I'm not sure. Jimmy. Ah, okay. Bitches Brew was supposed to have been a collaborative album between the two of them. Oh, interesting. That would have been cool. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, this African composer attempted to run for president in Nigeria in 1979. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know who that is? No. I'll tell you. I'll tell you who it is. He is considered the um, African James Brown. His name was Fela Kuti. You should look into him. Okay, I will. All right. Who wrote Giant Steps? Giant Steps. Yeah, I don't know that either. Coltrane. Oh, man. See, 
I'm not a, I'm not an expert historian when it comes to those genres, honestly. I, I know enough to be dangerous, but uh, my knowledge is, again, master of none, remember? Yeah, I got you, you. I got you. Okay. What song won best song at the Oscars in 1972 that is classic exploitation film? Oh, man. You Shut were... your mouth. I'm just talking about Shaft. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Marvin Gaye got his start in the industry by playing this instrument. Oh, um, piano, I guess. That's what Tracy guessed, too. It's drums. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Name the drummer for the Beatles. That would be Ringo Starr. I don't know his real name. It's not actually Ringo, but. Are you sure? Original drummer, the best, or Ringo Starr? I don't know. Well, I mean, those the, the original one was Pete Best, and then it became Ringo Starr later. Well, according to Bernard Purdy, there's like five drummers who played on their albums. Oh, we were talking like we're ta- we're not talking about band members. We're talking about studio cats. Yeah, yes. yeah. Bernard was in on the studio business earlier, so yeah, yeah. So it's multiple dudes. Yeah, but I mean, That's but amp. but you said who's part of the band, like not who was recording on their albums, which is, you, know, you and I know oh, that's, that's different. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Oh, okay. All right. You ought to know that. Okay. What's the name of Led Zeppelin's first album? Um, is self-titled. There we go. Or this... eponymously named is what yes. you would say. Yes. This bassist composed Portrait of Tracy. Oh, uh, Jocko Storius? Yes. Bonus question here. He also played Donna Lee. Who wrote Donna Lee? I don't know. Miles. Miles. You love it you was, some Miles. I do. He's the greatest ever. He is. He he actually so there's a he claims he wrote Donna Lee mm-hmm. for Charlie Bird, but Charlie Bird said he wrote it. Uh oh. Who wins? Like, was that industry <laughs> industry rules. Right. Okay, last last five questions and we can wrap it up. 